Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right, who do you think you are? Turn to the person next to you and say, who do you think you are? Who's ever been... Who's ever been accused of who they think they are? Who's ever had that said to them? Who's ever had that said to them with a little bit of an attitude attached to it? Sharon Roberts, yes, she has, she has. Many of us have, but what you need to know is you're in good company because Jesus Christ himself, when he was here on planet Earth some 2,000 years ago, was accused of the very same thing. The religious people of his day said, who do you think you are? You think you're so smart. You think you're so tough. You think you're so right. And Jesus never, never lowered himself to the level of the accusations that came his way. He chose to live above it. He never entered in. In actual fact, most of the questions that Jesus was asked, he never answered directly. He answered with a question. Because the questions that were often asked were so off point, were so base level that Jesus was trying to lift their level and ask them a higher question, ask them a deeper question, ask them a better question in order to get them back on track, back on point. And so Jesus was incredible at answering religious people. He was incredible at mingling with those that were far from God. He just did an incredible job of teaching us and showing us, more importantly, how we ought to live. And so when Jesus was being accused, who do you think you are, and responded in such a way, we need to take notice of what Jesus did and how he responded and how he answered such questions so that we can follow in his footsteps. And so we're up to week three of our series, Who Do You Think You Are? The first week we answered, Who Do You Think You Are? with this answer, you are ambassadors of Christ, which means you are Christ's representatives here on planet earth. And we've been given a message. It's not a judgmental message. It's not a political message. It's not a stylized message. It's not a branded message. It's a message of reconciliation. We have been given the privilege, the opportunity, nay, the responsibility of being those that join heaven to earth as mediators here on planet earth and showing people this incredible, kind, merciful God. We are ambassadors of Christ. Who do you think you are? I'm an ambassador of Christ Jesus. That was week one. Week number two, who do you think you are? I am the light of the world. We've been placed in dark situations and dark situations, dark circumstances, dark moments in our lives does not necessarily mean in and of itself that you are out of the will of God. No, you can be in a dark place and be smack bang in the centre of God's will and that's where God wants you to shine your brightest because the darker it is, the brighter our light shines. And so if you find yourself in a school that's not a Christian school, thank God. (laughs) I say that tongue in cheek, but some Christian schools are just Christian. But you know what? You may be the only Christian in your class. You may be the only Christian in your workplace. And instead of complaining about it, let's have a different uh, thought about it. And let's approach it differently and say, hey, maybe that's why God has placed me here. Maybe you're at the school you are, not just to learn. 
Maybe that you're at the workplace, you are not just to earn money and put food on the table. Maybe you are there on assignment. Maybe you're there on mission to shine the light of Jesus Christ into a dark and hurting and lost world. Who do you think you are? You're an ambassador of Christ. You're the light of the world, which brings me to week number three. Who do you think you are? I'm saved. S-A-V-E-D. I'm saved. Jesus set me free. Who remembers that song from the 90s? I'm saved. Remember that song? I, I, it, I love that song. But I'm saved. And for every person who today finds themselves in Christ, when you are accused, who do you think you are? You can categorically 100% say, I am saved. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm the light of the world. And I am saved. I'm saved. There are two responses, two popular responses to that question. Amongst the unchurched, those far from God, they might say, saved from what? I didn't even know there was a problem. Uh, Is there a fire? What have we been saved from? And that's a good question and we're going to answer that today. Amongst the believing community, amongst the church, amongst the mature, those who have been coming to church for a long period of time, you might say, really, Tony? I'm saved, really? That's where you want to start? That's where you want to take us? How elementary? How basic? Seriously, can't believe we pay you to sit there studying the Word of God to come up with that. I was busy at work. I could have told you that. Well, To those who would think like that this morning, I want to tell a little bit of a story, and it has to do with my childhood, because you see, with English parents growing up, even though I was born in Australia, I am an Aussie, but I am a Pommy Aussie, and because my mum and dad kind of taught me in the ways all things English, which means from the 18 months of uh, my life, I've been drinking tea. Tea in a cup, thank you very much. And uh, I, just, I just have fallen in love with tea from a very early age. And for me, you can never have too many cups of tea. There's no such thing as too many cups of tea. There's no such thing as it's too hot for tea. I can be in a tin shed on a 45 degree day and I will say, can I have a cup of tea? It's the drink of my choice. I do like coffee, but I love tea. Like coffee, love tea. Tea has to be made a certain way, but tea is awesome. And so all my childhood uh, growing up, I would drink tea. And it was as I came into the latter part of my teenage years and earned some money and started going out for dinner and paying for myself and taking some responsibility as a young man that I was becoming, um, I had a a massive wake-up call. I'll never forget One of the first times I went to a restaurant and uh, I'd had my meal and the waitress came up to me and she said, would you like some tea? I thought, this woman knows me. (laughs) And I said, I would love some tea, thank you very much. I thought that was the end of the discussion. I thought at that moment she would just walk off and bring me my tea. But she then said, what kind of tea would you like? I'm like, tea. You know, tea, T-E-A, capital T, T. Is is there any other kind like tea? And she proceeded to school me, educate me in all the options that are out there, all the different levels of tea. She started rattling off that there is such thing as green tea. There is black tea. 
There is chamomile tea. There is Earl Grey tea. There is even a thing called rooibos tea, which is this kind of tea they're going to serve in hell. <laughs> it's horrible stuff. For all the South Africans out there, God bless you. Um, and I was just like, wow, I never, I, I never knew. I just thought tea was tea. But I found out that day that tea came in many levels. And so it is with our salvation. When I say I'm saved, that statement comes at many levels. And that's what we want to look at today. Many levels. It's going to shape the way we think I trust and pray. Amen. The Bible says... When it comes to being saved, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I have been saved. Everyone say, been saved. Been saved. So I've been saved. It's awesome. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, I am being saved. Everyone say, being saved. being saved. So the Bible says, I've been saved. It says, I'm being saved. And then in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, it says, I will be saved. Um, and that can sound very confusing. How many are confused right now just listening to me say that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved? It all sounds confusing. Um, and the answer is, which one is it, Tony? Is it A? Is it B? Is it C? The answer, of course, is none of those. It's D. All of the above. This is the multifaceted, multi-layered side of our salvation. What I mean is this, that I have been saved from the penalty of our sin, that I am being saved from the power of sin, and that I will be saved from the presence of sin. And these are the three things that I want to delve into and look at today. And I trust that it will help both those that have been walking with God for many years, and I trust it will help those that are far from God, those that are confused about God, Christianity, and His church. I pray that it will bring enlightenment to us today and help us understand where we are at in our walk with God. So number one is this, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, up on the screen, it says, For it is by grace that you and I have been saved, to which I say, Amen, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We have been saved through faith, and this is not from our, uh, yourselves, it is a gift from God. Who remembers back in 1999 the film Double Jeopardy? Starring Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones. Who remembers that? Just give me a wave. Some of you weren't born, I know that, but you remember that that was when we were all worried about the Y2K and all the rest of it. And you know, remember that? That's when that particular movie came out, and the plot is about a woman who's been framed for the murder of a husband. Uh, the film was based upon a double jeopardy clause that's found in the Fifth Amendment of the American Constitution. Uh, which states, and you've got to get this, that the same offence cannot be twice punished. The same offence cannot, everyone say cannot, cannot, cannot be twice punished. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says this, 
but he, speaking prophetically of the Messiah to come, Jesus Christ himself, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What that simply means is this, that he, Jesus Christ, bore the payment that our sin incurred. In other words, the same offence can never be twice punished. And this is why you and I have been saved from the penalty of sin. In John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Here's the good news, and that's what gospel means. It means good news. The good news is that for all of us who are found in Christ, say with me, in Christ, You'll never be penalized for your sin. Why? Because the same crime can never be twice punished. It's already been punished through Christ on the cross. Who do you think you are? I'm saved. And it's really important that we know this because it's going to stop the voice of the accuser. I will never be accused or condemned ever again of my sin. That makes me confident, not perfect, but confident to be able to stand before the throne room of grace and say, I'm saved. And when the devil says, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? I can tell him exactly who I am. I'm saved because of Jesus and what he's done for me. Let me explain it this way. Not too long ago, I went out to dinner with a friend. We had a great meal, and at the end of the meal came that awkward time as to who's going to pay. If that moment is not awkward for you, someone's not being generous. At the end of every meal that you go out with your friends, it should always be awkward. There should always be a fight to pay. If it's not awkward, either they're being stingy, you need to find new friends, or you're being stingy, you need to change you. But anyway, that's beside the point. But I was, without, I was out with one of those generous friends, and, and so... Um, I came to the end of the meal and I was about to get up and pay, but he did the sneaky on me. He got up to go to the bathroom and while he was going to the bathroom, he paid for the meal. And before I could work out what he was doing, I saw him paying and then he went off to the bathroom and I thought, I'll get you. Anyway, knowing he'd paid for my meal in full, I proceeded to stand up and walk out of the restaurant. As I was walking out of the restaurant, the waiter who'd been serving us all night followed me out and accused me of not paying. He said, sir, you haven't paid the bill, to which he was technically true. He was technically, how do you say that word? Technically, that's what I'm trying to say. Technically, he was correct. I did not pay the bill. So I turned around, seeing a sermon written all over this. I said, you are right, I have not paid for this meal, but the meal has been paid for. And that silenced the voice of the accuser. 
who is wanting me to pay for something that's already been paid in full for. And so he just turned around and marched off. That authority that I was able to exercise at that moment is the authority that we have in Christ. When the devil says, who do you think you are? You say, I'm saved. My sin has been paid for once and for all in full. For that man to expect me to pay twice for a meal would be wrong on his part. I'm not going to pay twice for one meal. And I'm not going to pay twice for my sins. I don't have to pay for my sins because my sins have been paid for in full. When Jesus hung upon the cross, and you can read about it in John chapter 19, he said three words, it is finished, which is the Greek word teleos, and that simply means it's been paid in full. It wasn't about Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying, it's finished, my life is over, it's a mess, always look on the... It wasn't that moment. He was declaring that our sin, the penalty of sin, has been paid for once and for all. I'm saved. Who do I think I am? I'm saved. That's who I am. I've been saved. And the penalty of my sin has been dealt with once and for all. And that gives me a confidence It gives me a glint in my eye. It gives me a smile on my face. It puts a spring in my step, even on the darkest days. I thank God that I'm saved by faith. Not through anything that I have done, but because of Jesus. And so it's no problem for me to lift up my hands and sing to Jesus on a regular basis. I never grow tired of coming to church because it's an opportunity where we gather together to worship the one who saved us and dealt with this penalty of sin once and for all. Let's put our hands together because we serve a worthy God. What I love about this, it stops us going on a witch hunt every time we do something wrong. When something goes wrong, what have I done wrong? God must be punishing me. No, stop it. Stop going on your little witch hunts when something goes wrong because God is punishing you. No, that is not Bible. Don't get sidetracked because you're facing present hardships. Amen. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Secondly, not only have I been saved from the penalty of sin, but I'm being saved from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen. It says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, get that, being saved. Everyone say being saved. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, I have been saved is linked to the cross. I am being saved is linked to the resurrection. Jesus rose again on the third day, not just to deal with the power, uh, sorry, to, to, to deal with our sin, but to deal with and overcome the power that sin has over our lives in this present world. In other words, we're being saved through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. In Titus chapter 3, And verse 4, 
He says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom was poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. That word renewal or regeneration, as it is in other uh, translations, simply means a process of regrowing. Let me explain it this way. Conception is a miracle. The whole birthing process is a miracle. We celebrate those miracles on a regular basis here in this church. So-and-so is having a baby. So-and-so is having a baby. My brother celebrated the 600th child that they have given birth to <laughs> recently. I mean, they have babies, babies, babies. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And we celebrate the miracle. But you know what? The miracle is never the end. But it's just the beginning of a process. And so when we bring this little miracle home, guess what? We've got to teach it to feed. Got to teach it to poop. Got to teach it, get this, this is how dumb babies are. You've got to teach a baby to sleep. How hard is it to sleep? Just close your eyes, lay there, do nothing, fall asleep. But no, we've got to even teach our kids how to sleep. In other words, the miracle is the start of a process. Salvation is a miracle. It's through nothing that I have done. I receive it by a gift of grace. It's a miracle. I'm saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. But the moment I'm saved, I enter into the process of being saved and working out my salvation. Are you following with me this morning? See, this is not just true for the birthing process. It's also true for our lives. It's where discipleship comes in. I'm saved, instantaneous miracle. But we enter into a process. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you and uh, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. In other words, God is working on us. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a work in progress. We are. We're a work in progress. In other words, we are not a shop front window. We are more like a construction site. I've had the privilege, along with my wife, of building three homes and two church buildings. Been involved in the building industry a little bit over the last 20 odd years. And what I've noticed about every phase and stage of the building process is this it's messy. Building buildings, be it a church building or a house, is messy. The moment those excavators get on your land and start churning up the earth and doing the footings and then laying the slab, then putting up the wooden frame and then putting the bricks around it and putting the windows in and then putting the roof on and then doing the interior. It's just mess, mess, mess. And every time I would go up and watch the progress, I would see how messy it was. There would be wood chips, there would be sawdust, there would be empty farmer's union iced coffee containers everywhere because that's what the building construction site looks like. It's messy. But for every carton of iced coffee that's empty, it suggests to me someone's been here and they are working on my house. The mess 
is the confidence I have that something's happening. The moment it's all neat and tidy suggests they've stopped. If I went to my house and the frame was up, but there was no sawdust and there was no tools and there was no iced coffee containers, I would start to say, hey, well, well, what's going on? Why have you stopped? But here's the interesting thing. Even on the day of handover, when you get the keys, that exciting day after the cleaner has come through and cleaned your house top to bottom, that's an exciting day. And you get the keys, you walk in and say, wow, this is fantastic. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made. Thank God. And then you look outside and think, oh, there's a lot of work to be done. Now the fencing starts taking place. And now the uh, concrete or the pavers or whatever you, the choice that you, you choose to have around your house. And then there's the landscaping. Then there's the pool's got to go in. And you've got to do all this other stuff. And even this summer, one of my projects is to put a little pergola. When I say my project, you know what that really means. That means I'm going to get someone around to do it. Throw beer their way. But anyway, it never stops. If that is true for a house, how much more a life? Because a house or a building is nowhere near as complex as a human being. Human beings are complex people. We are complex. And, and as difficult as it was, renovating this auditorium and this building, it never spoke back to us. It never, you know, um, refused to be worked on. It just sat here and took it. Oh, I wish people would just sit back and take it. But they don't. Who else is getting hot? Anyone? It's because it's such a hot message. So don't lose heart. If your life is messy, my life's a mess most of the time. That's not bad. That means I'm being worked on. See, if we can understand this multifaceted approach to our salvation, we won't act immature when the pressure's on. See, this is what I found to be true. Most people, when the pressure's on, we revert back to the fact of a past tense reality to our salvation. The times I've heard this, God loves me as I am, as if somehow I don't, as if somehow that music director that was working with you doesn't, as if somehow that parent doesn't love that child. That's, that's not the issue. That's just to misunderstand the present reality of our salvation, that we are a work in progress. My salvation and the penalty of my sin has been dealt with. You can't do any more for that. But God's changing me. God's changing me. And God does love me as I am, but he loves me enough to want to move me from where I am to where he wants me to be. This is the process of our salvation. This is the work of salvation in our lives. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because while he's still working on you, it means there's still growth to be had. I'm reminded of the story where Jesus comes up to this person that was blind and Jesus offers to pray for him. 
And after praying for him the first time, Jesus says, do you see anything? Now, this moment for this young man is a really awkward moment. Because obviously God is working in his life at that moment because where he could not once see at all, now he can see. And what he can see is like, it's like trees moving around. But the pressure on him is, does he just play the religious game and give Jesus what he wants to hear? I mean, who's he to question Jesus? How do you tell God that what God did wasn't quite good enough? I mean, I love this guy. I want to meet him in heaven. I want to shake his hand to stand up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I appreciate your prayer, but dude, uh, you're a little bit off today. But then I love Jesus more because Jesus isn't phased by that. And so Jesus said, well, how about we pray again? He doesn't get all insecure. He said, well, how about we pray again? And this is what I love. This is what I get out of this story. His honesty. His openness. His vulnerability. His willingness to speak what's on his mind, what's truly on his mind, what's truly on his heart, open up a door of opportunity for further prayer, for further work, for further development, so that... What he could see as trees moving around becomes so clear that Jesus, after praying a second time, asked the same question. What do you see now? He says, I see clearly now. Often we don't see clearly enough because we don't want God to work on us anymore. We would rather just hold on to our bad church experience. We would rather just hold on to the fact that I tried Christianity once. We'd rather hold on to the fact that he prayed for me. Nothing happened. God doesn't heal enough and miss out on the miracle of the next prayer, the next church attendance, the next Bible reading. And that's why you've got to be careful who you hang around with because there's plenty of people who want you to hold back to where you, they are. And he's got to shake it off. When Jesus did most of his miracles, he had to get rid of the doubters. He had to shut the door. When Jairus' daughter was dead, he knew there's probably three guys outside of me who've got any ounce of faith to stand with me in this miracle. And so he brings them in, shuts everybody out. Jesus has an incredible ability of overlooking certain people for the sake of certain moments. And so we've got to understand that our salvation is a past reality, but it's also a present reality. He's working on us. If we don't understand this, we will come to one of either two conclusions. The first one is that God is not able to do what he said he's able to do, or I'm not holy enough. And we have Christians everywhere living in those two tensions. Either God's not good enough, or I'm not good enough. And both of those are wrong, and both of those find their place when we understand there's a past reality and there's a present reality. I'm just a work in progress. I've had the opportunity to pray for my son many times. And uh, as of yet, the reality and the outworking of that miracle hasn't happened yet. And so you know what we do? We don't blame God. We don't blame the man of God. We just pray one more time. In the meantime, God is working in us and God is working all things together for the good because who knows what he's really trying to do in us that he might do stuff through us. Amen. Is this helpful? See, the goal is not to be perfect. 
put this massive pressure on ourselves. Got to be perfect. I can't measure up. Oh, the Bible's just too hard. How about this as a goal? Just be better. That's my goal. I'm just going to be better. I'll never be perfect, but I can be a better pastor. I can be a better husband. And so I just work chipping away, working on me all the time just to be better. And you know what? I stand here 20 years later after starting the church, and I'm better. I might not be perfect, but I'm much better at what I do today than what I did back then. How about that as a goal? Just take the pressure off. Stop trying to be perfect and just be better. It's not hard. But when we aim for perfection, we know we'll never get it, so we don't even try. And we say, that's just too hard. But we can be better. We can be better. If you're playing an instrument, if you're learning an instrument right now, you may not be able to play like the greats, but you can be better than you are right now. Just, just, just make your go, I'm going to be better. This time next year, I'll be better. That's my New Year's resolution every year. I'm just going to be better. Our family's going to be better. Our lives are going to be better. Amen. Ah, oh, this is awesome. Number three. We will be saved from the presence of sin. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin as God continues to work in us. And then there's this future reality that we will be saved from the presence of sin. Acts chapter 15 verse 11 in the ESV says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. In other words, we live in a past, present, and future reality all at once. We live in three stages and three phases all at the same time. You might say, how is that possible? Here's a couple of illustrations. One is, I live in Australia, Adelaide, and Golden Grove all at once. Yeah? But how about this one? When I got engaged to my now wife, I put a ring on her finger. That ring speaks into three realities. The ring speaks of a past event, the event and the moment in time when I place that ring on her finger. It speaks of a present reality. I love her and I'm committed to her, I'm betrothed to her, and one day I will be married to her. And it speaks in the future that one day we will indeed be married. There is a past, a present, and a future reality to that engagement ring. And we have a past, present, and future reality to our salvation. Yeah? In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, as the band come, that'd be great. It says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with him a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The Bible says, according to Ephesians, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, is God's guarantee to us. The Greek word for guarantee is where we get the same language for engagement. The Holy Spirit is almost like the engagement ring for us. You see, when I placed the engagement ring on my wife's finger, I was saying, I love you. God gives His Holy Spirit 
as a symbol to us and a sign to us and a guarantee that He loves us. When I put that ring on my wife's finger, it says, I'm in a special relationship with you like nobody else. When God gives His Holy Spirit to us, He says, I'm in a special relationship with this person like nobody else. When I put that ring on my wife's or my girlfriend's finger, it was the guarantee and the promise that one day we will be married and all that I own and all that I have and all that I am will be yours. When God gives us His Holy Spirit, it's a sign of future things to come. That one day everything that I have and all that I am will be yours. We live in three tensions, three phases, three stages, three levels all at once. And we need a maturity to grasp this. Otherwise, we're going to revert to immaturity and it will be to the lowest level of our understanding. There is definitely a past tense to our salvation that our sin has been dealt with and we're accused of our sin. When we're accused of not being good enough, we can silence the enemy from this day forth because of that past tense reality. I'm saved. I'm sorry. My debt that I incurred has been paid. Granted, not by me. You're right, not by me. But it has been paid for, so back off. I love that. I wish I could live there. That's just cool. But now he takes me on a journey. Now it's poke, prod, shape, fashion. And while I want to keep going, oh, but God, you love me. I think that's why sometimes we love the altar because we feel so loved. But notice when God's fashioning you, He's still loving you. He's still loving you. And we need to grow up, church. We need to mature, church. We need to understand that the hardships and the bits we don't like in this relationship with God is, is, is just as much a part of it than the birthdays and the anniversaries. I love my wife and we've got great memories, but there, there are a lot of days, just, they're just mediocre days. It's part of a relationship. Not every day is just a promotion. Some days you've got to say the hard things. And if we can understand that, and when we're going through it, I, I, I know this is, this, is, this is the present reality. And this is where I'm being saved. I'm being saved from the power of sin. God's growing me so I can overcome this. And, and we should be able to look back over our lives as I can and trust many of you can and say, remember that time when that little thing used to annoy you, now it doesn't? That's what we're on about. Is there something in your life that 10 years ago would have really annoyed you and it doesn't now? Praise God. Praise God. But I bet it's because someone or something was in your life working away that you didn't like to get you there. But then there's also this future reality where we, are, we will be, once and for all, saved from the very presence of sin itself. Where we'll be caught up with Him and we'll be called to a place where there's no sin, where there's no sickness, there's no poverty, there's no disease, no bickering, squabbling, gossip, slander, 
we will be called up to a place that truly the best is yet to come. Who do you think you are? I'm saved. You see, it really matters who you think you are. And next time that accusation comes, who do you think you are? You need to hold on to the fact you're saved. That your past sins have been dealt with once and for all. You see, knowing that you have been saved will bring a confidence. You won't have condemnation anymore. Knowing that you are being saved will bring peace. Because you'll know what that is. This is just the ongoing change. This is just part of the journey. That's all this is. Even a tree understands that. Autumn, we just drop the leaves. It's part of the process. They'll come back. It's all right. We'll come back bigger and better next year. It's all right. It's just part of it. It's just where God's made us. And knowing that you will be saved brings joy because we know that the best is yet to come. So we can have confidence. We can have peace. And we can have joy. Because we know we're saved. Past sins dealt with. Our present realities managed and our future guaranteed. Seriously, as the church, we should be the happiest people on the planet. <laughs> Tony, don't you get worried when this happens or that happens? Ah, yeah, have some bad days. You know, I always find it's level with this. I'm on a journey. God's not finished with me. He's not finished with this church. He's not finished with our musicians. Imagine what this man can do on the guitar 10 years from now. Imagine what Fee can be doing 10 years from now. It just gets really exciting. It just doesn't fall into our laps. We're a work in progress. Has this been helpful this morning? Just stand with me. This is what I know about the enemy. He wants to sidetrack us. He wants to get us caught up with all these little arguments that have nothing to do with anything. And all those arguments, those worries, those fears, which you all have. Have you ever worried? Of course I have. Have you got upset and angry? Yes. But those things find their level and their place in this greater truth. And if I can have joy and peace and confidence by putting these greater truths in my life, that can be true for you. It can be true for each and every one of us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.